If you don't know this, this is our fifth week in a series that we've been talking through this concept of pain. And uh, we all deal with pain. We've actually talked through depression. We've talked through anxiety. Um, and today we're actually going to be talking through fear. Um, and these are really some big topics. These are things, whether you realize it or not, you live your life um, dealing with these particular issues. And a lot of times, rather than us facing these issues, most of us um, suppress them. We don't like to deal with them. We don't like to feel pain. I mean, raise your hand real quick if you're like, dude, sign me up to feel just terrible all the time. No, nobody likes to feel that way. So this is kind of our main theme that has been trickling throughout this whole series. It's this idea of we live in a culture that says escape your pain, but the truth is we need to learn to sit in it because oftentimes we go through difficult times because God wants to teach us something. And the truth is, if we're careful and if we're honest about ourselves, most of us, when we experience hard times, we like to suppress it. We don't like to feel it. We don't like to go through it. We don't like to dive through why am I feeling this way. It's why Netflix is so popular. It's why Facebook is so popular. It's why we have built all these coping mechanisms within our culture to not feel a particular way. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about fear. And not fear like you're afraid of something, um, but really the fear of people. How many of you, if you're not careful, you can live your life for the approval of others? Like you make decisions based on what people are going to think of you. Um, basically, you're living somebody else's life, not your own. You ever find yourself like, uh, maybe you find yourself at a job you hate only because somebody said that you, they thought that you might be good at it, but you don't like it. Or maybe you, self, maybe you find yourself in a relationship because somebody thought that they liked you and you didn't want to let them down, so you dated them. And you're like, this is a terrible decision, right? Oftentimes in our life, we make decisions based off of fear of others. So that's what I want to attack. That's what I want to dive at this morning. Before we do, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray that this would be more than just a message. It'd be more than just a sermon. But God, I pray for freedom, that people would experience freedom this morning. God, if they are gripped and bound by fear, God, that they would experience you this morning. God, that you would begin to point out and reveal things in their life. And it wouldn't be condemnation. It wouldn't be condemning. But God, it'd be more convicting to, to compel us to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I want you, here's what I'm kind of going to attack this morning is what happens when we trade the approval of God for the approval of people? What happens when we trade the approval of God for the approval of people? Something happens, and it's a phrase that you're going to hear throughout this message, and it's just the fear of man. So let me set the stage for you in scriptures. There's actually this passage, if you want to get ahead of me, it's in John 12, 42. You can turn there. But in John 12, 42, there's these disciples that walk into this crowd, and they're supposed to be representing Jesus. And all of a sudden, when they get into the crowd, they hear what the, the, the scriptures would call the Pharisees. They're kind of talking bad about these people that are following Jesus, Christ followers. And so all of a sudden, these disciples of Jesus feel a certain way of going, okay, I can't talk about Jesus because my reputation is on the line. So let me put it to you this way. How many of you have ever walked into a room, you're firm in your conviction, you're firm in something that you know that you need to do, but then you get around a group of people and they're doing the exact opposite and you go with the flow with them, even though you don't really want to, but you don't want to look like an idiot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So here's what happens in the scriptures. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in Jesus. So here's what I want you to understand. Everybody in the room believes in Jesus. 
Okay, but watch what happens. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it with their mouths so they would not be put out of the synagogue. So here's what happens. Basically, if they got together, they start talking about their love for Jesus and how he's shaping their lives. The Pharisees, the rulers of the synagogue, would have criticized them and kicked them out of the church. So it says, for fear of not being destroyed or not being talked about, they kept silent. If they went public with their belief, they were going to get kicked out. And they realized, well, good Jews, good Christians don't get kicked out of church, right? So we're going to be silent with our belief. Really what it came down to, how they looked, their reputation and their relationships with friends are riding on this decision that they have to make. They had a fear of the Pharisees. Now watch what this verse says if you, if you uh, read the beginning of it. Watch this. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That is the fear of man. When you get around people and you care more about what people think about you than what the God of the universe, the one who created, created you, thinks about you. Now, when you read a story like this, it's easy to go, it's easy to go shocking, right? Why would they do that? Why would they trade the glory of God for the glory of people? But if we're honest with ourselves, we do it every single day right? We find ourselves at work making decisions that we probably would never make, but we just want to look good in front of people. Um, We find ourselves, even like when we're by ourselves and not even around anybody, we process it through, well, what would this person do? You see this all the time in social media, right? Anybody use recommendations on Facebook? Like before you make a decision now, what do people do? Well, let me post this, get a poll of what everybody collectively thinks before I go and make a decision. So the majority of people are saying that I should do this. So this must be the correct decision. This is exactly what the people in that church did. And it said they had a fear of man. They traded the glory of God for the glory of others. And if we're not careful, this is what we do every single day. And if we're not careful, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. We end up living our life for the approval of the people around us and forget that God already approves of us. And so here's the truth. When you're living for the approval of people, you never win. Never Here's what I've had to settle in my life, especially in this line of work, being a pastor. There's just going to be people that don't like you. There's just going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people that say, well, you know what? If I was a pastor of that church, I'd do it differently. I would not say this. Or I would dress this. Why 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 are you wearing skinny jeans? I wouldn't do that. (laughs) That's why you're not the pastor. So so here's the deal, though, but here's what happens. We end up caring so much about what people think, and it cripples our relationship with Jesus. Therefore, we can't even live our own lives and the life that God has created us to live because we're so busy living somebody else's life. And we have to be careful of this. This fear can be gripping. If you're not careful, this fear can lead to anxiety. This fear can lead to depression because now you walk in a room and you look at yourself, well, am I dressed right? Am I saying the right thing? Do I look the part? And we get into this overanalyzing, and it comes from the fear of man. So let me put a definition to it. It's going to be on the screen. Here's what the fear of man is. This is the definition. When you have a deep concern 
about what others think of you, there is this controlling desire for human approval and a controlling fear of people's rejection. That is the fear of man. When you walk into the room and you immediately assess, what are people going to think? What kind of front do I have to put on because I don't want to be rejected? That is the fear of man. Your desire to be respected, esteemed, admired, overwhelms anything else in your life. Your fear of being overlooked in a crowd. Like, I don't want to walk into a crowd and just be another person. I don't want to be overlooked. You badly want people's acceptance, and we fear being rejected by people. Now, let me back up a little bit. It's a legitimate desire to want to be accepted. I'm not saying that that is a bad thing. I think God has this innate thing in all of us where we, we do have a purpose here on this earth and we do want to make a difference here on this earth. So it's not a bad thing to want to be approved. The problem is when these natural desires become excessive or controlling. So when that need for a human approval charts the path for every decision that you make and it controls your thoughts and your actions, this is where it becomes a problem. Because our minds begin to become consumed with what people think about us. See, the fear of man will tell you what shirt to wear. The fear of man will tell you how to fix your hair. The the fear of man will tell you what restaurants you should eat at. The fear of man will tell you what social circles you should be in. The fear of man will tell you what you should do with your kids, right? And it encompasses every area of your life and it brings you to a place where you're not living the desired outcome that God has for you and you're living somebody else's. See, when we become more concerned about what people's opinions are about us, this is the fear of man. And the truth is we start to define ourselves by how people respond to us. Well, they didn't like the shirt. They didn't like the conversation. Well, did I say something that ruffled their feathers? Did I say something that made them upset? Here is the most dangerous thing about the fear of man is people become big and God becomes small. That's the most dangerous thing. People become big. Your overwhelming desire to be known, approved, accepted by others becomes your highest priority and what God thinks about you, it doesn't matter. This is why you can read the scriptures and go, it doesn't matter. I just need somebody to tell me that I'm good enough. When God says, I've already said you're good enough. And it's anchoring yourself into that. And I'll tell you why the fear of man is such a thing that our culture deals with. Why we crave and we want human acceptance because it's tangible, right? We can see these people. We can, we can look at them. But can I tell you something? Being anchored in who you are is not a person. It's a confidence in a God that loves you regardless of who you are and what you've done. It literally is a perspective, it literally is a mindset. It literally is you coming to a place of like, I, I can fail, I can mess up, but God loves me no matter what. What it has to come down to is even when you don't feel God, that you anchor yourself to the promises of God. We, we said this in the beginning of this series that it should be all of our desire to want to know a God who exists outside of our emotions. I'm not saying that we don't serve an emotional God. We do. God feels, and we should feel things. But if that's what you're constantly searching for and constantly looking for, you're going to miss it. Because there is a God who sits with you in your pain. 
that there is a God that goes outside of the norm of our expectations and loves us even when it doesn't feel like it. So here's what I want to do. This is fun. Well, not really. <laughs> Let, let's take a moment to diagnose ourselves with the fear of man. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read you nine different like statements, questions. Okay, I got these out of a book. It's by a guy named Ed Stetzer. And uh, it's basically just like how you can die. Because you may be sitting in here this morning and going, I don't struggle with that. I'm pretty confident. I don't need human's approval. Well, let's find out. Okay. Number one. Do you need something from others so that you become dependent upon them? This is the overbearing, overweighted person that is, this is how you train wreck a marriage. When you put so much, you heap so much on that other person, like, I need you to satisfy me. I need you to fulfill me. I need you to make me feel good. Number two, do you expect a lot from people but little from yourself? (laughs) Do you want people to serve you but it's not neutral. Number three, I think this is a big one that so many people deal with. Do you crave compliments? Let me explain it to you like this. Do you ever fish for compliments? Here's what I mean by this. Maybe you say something stupid about yourself in hopes that somebody else might correct you with a compliment. So you purposely like, I look ugly today. And somebody's like, no, you don't. Like, oh, I don't. I look good. Oh, thank you. Like you throw yourself out there, you make yourself look bad for a moment in hopes that somebody else will say something. Number four, do you need to have people's approval over you? Are you incapable of making a decision without somebody else saying, yeah, that's a good decision? Can you come to a place where you say, no, I'm confident in my relationship with Jesus, I heard from God, and I can go? Number five, Are you ever afraid you might be exposed as an imposter? Number six, are you over-concerned with how you look, how much you weigh, or how you're dressed? Do I look the part? Do I fit in? Maybe you come into church, maybe this is your first time here, and you're going, oh my God, am I dressed right? Do I look well? Do I have the right glasses? Do I have the right hair? Do all that kind of stuff. And we can make light of it, we can poke fun of it, but it's, it's a true thing. People deal with it all the time. Well, actually, this number six, this is one of the reasons, I'll just throw this out there right now for me personally, this is why, like, as the past, I've chosen not to, like, I wear comfortable clothes to church. Because here's the thing, so many people have made church about what it should be and what it should not be. Oh, well, do I have, like, you can wear whatever you want here and nobody's going to care, as long as you have clothes on. <laughs> It's like I'm constantly trying to tear down those walls. Like your relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with what shirt you have on. It it just doesn't. Number seven, do you feel underappreciated? Meaning like I do all these things and nobody ever notices me. Can I tell you something? You're always noticed. God always notices everything that you do. Can I tell you something else? Character is built in the midst of obscurity when nobody else sees you. (laughs) When nobody knows your name, nobody knows the hard work that you're putting in, that's when your foundation is built. But the truth is, most of us want the public space way too quickly. Way too quickly. Number eight, do you, this is me, okay? I'm just gonna throw it out there. 
Do you ever make an excuse for mistakes, justify your bad behavior, or shift blame because you can't handle the thought of failing before people? You ever go like, well, I made that mistake, but let me explain why. You know what I've learned over the past few months? Just own it. Have you ever gotten an argument with your husband or your wife? You're like, let me tell you why I cursed you out. (laughs) The fact remains, you cursed them out. (laughs) You made a mistake. You ever feel like you you did something wrong? We're like, hold on, let me justify this. And we do that because we have a fear of what that person thinks about us, so we have to explain ourselves. Number nine. Do you compare yourself to others and feel good about yourself when others lose and you win? You ever see somebody on Facebook and they're failing and you feel a little bit better about yourself? (laughs) Come on, let's be honest. We do it, right? We do it all the time. Or somebody can share something with you in their marriage and you're like, man, I'm not that bad. (laughs) Thank the Lord. Somebody's failing (laughs) worse than I am, right? So here's the truth. If we do any of these things, this is the fear of man. Show of hands, how many of you related with at least one? Everybody. So here's the truth. If we live like this, we end up enslaved to other people's opinions about us. Craig Rochelle says it this way all the time. If you live by other people's approval, it is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. The quickest way to forget about what God says and thinks about you is to live and die by what other people think and say about you. See, the fear of man is an absolute horrible way to live. It's it's bondage. And nothing will grip you harder than the fear of man because the fear of man will tell you how to act It will tell you what to say. It will tell you what to be. It will tell you what to wear. It will tell you what social circles you should surround yourself by. It will tell you all these things. And the truth is, many of us in here have been scarred by this idol. This is an idol. The fear of man is idolatry, taking things that are good and putting them above Christ. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to want to be approved by other people. What I'm saying is when you place it higher than anything else, it becomes an idol. You begin to serve it. You begin to live your life and position yourself in a way that says, I will do anything so people like me. The root of idolatry is finding your identity in something outside of God. The truth is, we talked about this in this series, but some of you are dealing with guilt over a compromise you made in your life. And the only reason you made the compromise is because you simply wanted to get approval from somebody else. The only reason you compromised your convictions or your standards is not really because you wanted to, but because you were around people that would say, oh yeah, that's a great job, or you got a quick pat on the back. So what is it about human nature that causes us to struggle this way? What is it about human nature that says, man, I want people to like me more than anything else? The truth is we're glory-hungry people. We want greatness. We want significance. We all want approval. That is the human heart. 
But the truth is, we were made to receive glory from God, not from people. Like, if, if you want that emptiness to be fulfilled within you, you have to find approval from your heavenly Father. Because people, when you find approval from them and they approve of you and they speak highly of you, here's the thing. You wake up the next day and you need it all over again. It's never going to be enough. And so it's anchoring yourself in a God and a Father who says you are enough no matter what you've done. We've talked about a little bit about this throughout this entire series, but look at Adam and Eve. God, what does he do? He puts them in a garden, and what does he say? This is very, very good. He crowns them with glory. He gives them honor. He says, listen, you have dominion over this entire garden. I'm trusting you with this. See, you and I were made to lead. You and I were made for significance. You and I were made for approval. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and says, I approve of you. I love you. This is good. But then we lost it, right? (laughs) We lost it in the garden. When Adam said, no, and Eve said, you know what? I think I know better than God. The serpent's telling me that I can be like God if I bite of this. And what happens? Sin enters into the picture and it robs and strips Adam and Eve of the approval of God. And so there's this moment in the garden where they stand naked, they stand condemned, they realize, okay, we've lost something. And here's the truth. When that moment happened in the garden, the rest of our lives were constantly trying to get back what was lost in the garden. Because there was a time where no matter what, we felt that approval from the Father. And you have to understand this. Every mistake that you go out and make, everything that when you tell yourself that I know better, it's just another attempt, just like Adam and Eve, to go out into the garden and say, you know what, I'm going to go get glory for myself. It's this attempt to try to find approval in something outside of the approval of the Father. And I think we try it in all different ways. Let me explain. Some of us try it through beauty. So we cake the makeup on. Here's what I love about Jesus, and here's what I love about God, is if you can understand how the cycle of life works, God does not let you stay strong forever. Like, I don't know if you realize this, we get old. <laughs> if, you're, if you're older than 50, 40, whatever, you know this. Remember when you were 20? You get out, roll with your kids, jump all over the place, do all kinds of things. 56 years old, your body's a little bit different now, right? So, so here's why if you anchor your approval in how you look, you have to understand that that's a short shelf life because one day it's going to fade. One day you won't be the person that you used to be. If you anchor your approval in how much money you make, that's a short shelf life. Because we live in a world that is shifting and changing and constantly going up and down. And you can have all this money and one day it can be gone in an instant. You can anchor your your approval and power and fame and wealth and reputation. If I could just have all these things. But here's the truth. Within all these things, I think at the heart of all of it is the fear of man. I think if you're not, I'm not saying making money is a bad thing. I think it's, God's definitely giving people gifts to do it. But here's the problem. If your sole anchor is, well, my entire life people told me that I can never make it, so I'm going to prove to them that I can. Can I tell you something? That is for the approval of men and not for the approval of the Father. 
So it comes out an unhealthy root. This place of like, well, everybody told me that I could be nothing, so watch me be something. When God says, you already are something. You're already enough. And I'm not using this as an excuse to not work hard. I think that we should. I'm just saying, if that is your driving factor, your main motivation, you're missing it. See, wealth, power, fame, reputation, if we're just honest, these are just our fig leaves. It's just our cover-up, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Oh, I feel weak if I don't have the fame. I feel weak if I don't have the money. I don't feel like people will say I'm enough if I don't say these things or act this way. It's just our fig leaves to compensate our sagging sense of self-worth. So we don't feel worth it, so what do we do? We've got to go work for it, right? But isn't that the beauty of the gospel? See, the gospel is simple. We, we overcomplicate it so many times. It's so simple. Jesus says, if you believe in me in this day, confess of my name, you've got it. Some people say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? What about that? It's so simple. So let me give you an example of this, of how the fear of man kind of plays out. Um, in junior high, despite my awful athletic failure, I signed up for football. <laughs> Um, I've never been into sports other than like backpacking and hiking and camping and stuff like that, but that's not really a sport, is it? Um, all my brothers, all my friends were super like athletic kind of bent. They were wired. My brother was amazing at football. I had another brother who was awesome at baseball, played all-stars, all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting here going like, I like music and making movies. <laughs> I'm totally at, like, this does not fit. And I remember... In school, especially, I was this overly introverted, artistic kid who was a little weird, and I felt pressured by everybody else. Well, all my friends are playing football, so why not? Horrible mistake. The only reason I signed up for football was not because I had suddenly found this new talent to be awesome at football. It was simply because everybody else was doing it, so I signed up for it. And I remember the first game I ever played um, I was a running back because I was somewhat fast, okay? And I remember um, uh, we play the first game. My dad's watching. He's all excited that I'm playing football. My dad's a huge sports fan. And uh, I remember I, they throw the ball to me. I catch it. And, and the first thought in my mind was like, oh, my God, I caught this ball. And I start running. And then I get tackled. <laughs> and I was like, what in the world? Just, it felt like a train wreck just hit my body. Remember, I walked off the field and I said, I'm done. I quit. <laughs> I never played another game. That is a true story. But I think a lot of us live our lives that way. We sign up for something that we were never created to do. We live a life that we were never created to live. Some of us are in careers that we, God never asks us to be that. We just feel pressured by other people to do it. Can I tell you something? God has a unique destiny and purpose and calling for your life. And to be somebody here in this world, you don't need to be anybody else. You need to figure out who you are and who Christ has made you to be. And that is where you will find the most immense sense of satisfaction when you discover that. And no matter how old you are, listen, you can be 56 years old, your life is not wasted. It's never too late. As long as you're still breathing, you have plenty of time. 
You can have a month left, two days left. It doesn't matter. Find out, figure out why you're here on this earth and then start living that purpose. See, the truth is we're just trying to prove to ourselves and everybody else around us that we're worth something, right? The truth is God approves of us. We're trying to show everyone else that we do matter, that we do have significance. See, I think the fig leaf of choice for most of us is the fear of man. Well, I've got to fall into line with other people, right? Because if I don't, then who am I going to be? We don't feel any worth, anything, so we hide behind the approval of man. So how do we get liberated from this? How do we get liberated from the fear of man? The truth is there's glory, honor, and approval and acceptance that is greater than what we find from other people, and that is the glory, honor, and approval that we're going to find from God. I know we use this word. It's kind of Christian lingo. The truth is the way that we find genuine approval is by understanding the essence of the gospel. So here's what it is. I just wrote this last night. This is the gospel that we're sinners under the condemnation of God. Yet God in his grace has clothed himself in flesh. He came down as a human being, stepped into our place, took our sin upon himself, and took on the wrath of the Father in our place. Our record of sin is canceled and Christ is condemned in our place. Therefore, watch this, we're accepted and this is ours by faith. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ came, paid for your debt, your sin, removed the wrath that God the Father had towards us where we should be destroyed. He stepped into our place and said, you know what? They are worth it. I'll pay for it. He paid for something that you couldn't pay for. He took our place when we couldn't do it. According to Zephaniah 3.17, I want you to understand this. It says that the universe looks upon us God looks upon his children and he delights in us. He delights in us. You know the greatest lie that some of you believe based on the life that you've lived and maybe at the place that you're at right now, you literally believe that you're not worth it. I'm trash, I'm nothing based on the past that I've lived or the mistakes that I've made. Can I tell you something? There is never going to come a day in my life regardless of the mistakes that my children make where I'm gonna look at them and say you're not worth it. It's not going to happen. They could live a life that is completely contrary to the scriptures, could completely abandon their faith, go and follow some other will for their life, and guess what? I'm still going to love them just the same. Why can I do that? Because I remember looking at them in the hospital bed when they were so tiny and they couldn't walk and they couldn't move and staring at their eyes and going, I'm responsible for this human being, but I love this human being more than anything. It's the moments as a father where you go to the beach and you look at your kids and there's just this immense like joy and laughter and joking and cutting up and having a great time. There's never like this thing in your head that says, if you go off and do this, I'll disown you. They could have completely contrary beliefs than me. I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to support them. I'm still going to encourage them. Why? Because they're my kids right? I'm their father. I don't abandon them. 
Listen, I want you to understand something. That is how God looks upon his kids, and it's a hundred million times worth more than even what I feel about my kids. Because think about it this way. He looks, into your, he looks into your life, the timeline of your life, and he can see your past, your present, and your future, and he still approves of you. Do you realize that? Like God looks into the future of your timeline. He knows what you're going to do, and he still loves you. <laughs> he still approves of you. Like he's already forgiven you for the mistakes that you have not even made yet. He's a good father. See, this is the kind of glory that we want. This is the kind of honor. This is the kind of approval that we want, knowing that the creator of the universe smiles upon us, sings on us, delights in us. And the truth is, any other approval is foolishness. And I'll tell you why it's foolishness, because it'll always beg for more. It'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. I love Ephesians 1, 4. It's been a life first for me for probably the past 10 years. Whenever I've failed, whenever I've blown it, I go back to this verse, anchor myself to it. Even as he chose us in him, what? Before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. The verse goes on, and he predestined us in love. So here's what this means. Like before the foundations of the earth, before God created anything, he saw you, he knew you, he loved you, and he already said, I'm going to die for you. And as humans, what do we do? Well, I've already made this mistake. I've already blown it. I've already, you know, casted myself out of the family, whatever you want to call it. And God says, no, I still love you. You were defined by God before this world could ever define you. You were defined by God before you... We're defined by your mistakes. Before you had regret, <laughs> he loved you. He approved of you. Now, this is going to be instrumental as we're kind of bringing this series to a close. We have one more message in this next Sunday. But I do want you to understand something. We're always going to speak heavily on the grace of God because it's so important. Because none of us would be here without the grace of God. But my fear today is for some of us, especially and the way that we can talk about this within churches is that sometimes we would solely bank on the grace of God and end up abusing the grace of God. So, so here's what I mean by this. Many of us have a saying, and it goes something like this, I can live however I want, and God will give me grace. Can I tell you something? If you live that way, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what Jesus has done for you. It, I, I, this may be contrary to what some of you think, but the truth is it's not like a one-time prayer while somebody prayed over me when I was two years old and I'm in. No, you're not. <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, but you're not. Because the mark of a Christian is a life that is transforming, a life that is changing. And if you solely bank on, well, I prayed the prayer when I was five years old and I can just live however I want, you don't understand the grace of God. And let me put it to you like this. You ever gone to a restaurant and you sit there, and maybe it's a nice one, and you order this nice meal. And you know when the waiter is going to come to pay for you, and you've got to pay your bill, you know, man, dude, 80, 90 bucks is coming out of my checking account. And when you go to get the check, they say, excuse me, sir, somebody's already paid for it. What do you feel when somebody says that? You feel this immense sense of gratitude, right? 
this immense sense of almost like, man, I've got to pay this forward. So what do you do? Hopefully, if you're in a position where you can do this, the next time you go eat at a restaurant, what do you try to do? You try to pay for somebody else because somebody took care of your tab. Somebody took care of your bill. It's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. When you understand the grace of God, you follow God, not because of the rules and the regulations, but because you want to, because he's paid for you. That's when you understand the grace of God. There is this idea, and it's not popular in our culture, but we do have to be people that stand firm and fight against sin. It's not just like solely, just let me just bank on the grace of God and I'll ask him for forgiveness tomorrow. If you constantly live your life that way, you don't understand it. I I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor, theologian, he actually was killed at the hands of Hitler. um, He put it this way. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. So some of us are living our lives within cheap grace, right? Well, God loves me, he forgives me, and he does. But God's also saying, I love you so much not to leave you this way, and now you need to do something. You know, we do live in a culture now that says, just live however you want. God loves you, God accepts you, and you don't need to do anything. The truth is it requires something of us. Cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus. At the end of the day, we don't want to live a life that is full of cheap grace. Costly grace, he goes on to say, that costly grace is grace that understands the great price that God has paid for you. And that you ultimately begin to follow Jesus. You dive into the community of a church. You follow certain things, not because you have to, but because you want to. And when you can get there, your fear of man will simply begin to erode away. It will be simply begin to erode away. I had somebody a long time ago, teach me this, and it's literally transformed my life, and I think it'll be helpful for you, and I'm gonna close in a second. See, oftentimes when we have certain sins in our life that we know that are breaking God's heart, we feel like we gotta focus on them, right? So man, if you're dealing with lust, you're like, okay, I I gotta figure this out. And the truth is, here's what I've learned. If you just dive deeper into your relationship with Jesus, and you get closer and closer to him, all of the exterior issues that you're, that you're dealing with begin to fade away. And they begin to fade away because you no longer have a desire to do them as you grow closer to Jesus. So here's what I don't want you to feel this morning. If, man, if the fear of man has gripped you, and if you've gotten yourself in a financial position because of the fear of man, if you've put yourself in the wrong company because of the fear of man, don't feel like, oh, so condemned by this. What I want you to walk out of here with is this overwhelming sense of, I just need to know Jesus more. (laughs) I need to connect with God. I need to slow down the busyness of my life. Like some of us actually probably need to like schedule God into our schedules. (laughs) When I wake up in the morning, rather than the first thing that I look at is this, I'm gonna spend time with Jesus. Like some of us need to put it in. Because if you can spend time with Jesus, if you can learn how to steward and foster a healthy relationship with Jesus, you're going to feel approval that you've never felt before. 
And the truth is, I'm absolutely convinced, when you start feeling the approval of the Father, that there are things like depression and fear and anxiety and pain and all these things begin to chip away off of you. Sometimes it's a slower process, but the truth is it does start to chip away. It does start to begin to fall when we start anchoring ourselves in God and what he thinks about us rather than being so concerned about what the person next to us thinks.